0: Welcome. We're Kevin Smith and Mark Bleicher from Arate Incident Response. We're excited to share actual incident response cases, chat about IT security, and introduce you to the most influential players in the industry. With that, let's get moving. And thanks for joining this episode of Security Superpowers. Okay, well, welcome to yet another episode of Security Superpowers. It's great to be back with Mr. Mark Bleicher. Good morning, Mark.
1: Good morning, Kevin.
0: You know, we've been talking about this episode for some time. Uh, I, I'm super excited to start diving in, um, but wanted to just kind of give a brief overview. Um, we, in our conversations, we've been talking about three types of ransomware, threat intelligence and the importance of it during forensics, and, uh, and why in- threat intelligence is quickly becoming the most effective wep- weapon against uh, getting infected. Uh, and I know that we share this information across the board with a number of people I um, wanted to give you an opportunity to just give us a few more details as to what threat intelligence is and and what we're going to be diving into today
1: yeah no absolutely i mean i'm i'm not going to spend too long bobbing on just because we have our expert here today but uh threat intelligence is you know as you mentioned it's a it's a weapon we use both before during and even after the type of work that we engage with. Uh, it is. It allows us to put together a picture of uh, what could happen and stop that, uh, piece together what's happened in the past, and then use that information moving forward to ensure that thing doesn't happen again in the future.
0: I do want to cue up our, our very um, esteemed guest. Um, he was a cyber threat intelligence officer uh, in the U.S. Army. He was associate director of cyber uh, investigations. Uh, at another firm. Uh, he's a uh, he's a holder of an MBA from George Washington University in IT management and finance, and he's currently pursuing a PhD in data mining and artificial intelligence at George Mason. Um, uh, it is my pleasure and my honor to uh, introduce our our director of cyber threat intelligence, Mr. Evgeny Ertsov. Good morning.
2: Good morning, guys. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here.
0: Uh, so again, you know, I just want to re-summarize. We are going to be covering a, a wide uh, a swath of topics today, and um, I wanted to just give you uh, the opportunity to just give us a summary as we head into that, um, and just get your feelings on on the importance of threat intelligence and uh, why you've committed uh, s- such an enormous amount of time, effort, and energy into that.
2: No, absolutely. And I 100% agree with Mark. Uh, So at this point, uh, cyber threat intelligence is an an integral part of pretty much everything that we do. Uh, As Mark mentioned, uh, the information that we collect from previous cases, and right now we collect more than 150 data points along with technical indicators from previous matters that we handled. So that information is absolutely uh, extremely helpful and valuable. Uh, for all the three, uh, like three uh, uh, swim lanes uh, that we deal with. Uh, so for example, uh, if we're dealing like, with initial containment uh, of the uh, victim's environment, uh, just by knowing uh, which variant uh, we're dealing with, uh, we can kind of predict what we should expect to find. So it could be like any type of uh, trojans or uh, most commonly used uh, intrusion vectors for that specific variant and etc. Uh, then, like in the phase, like if uh, unfortunately uh, required to uh, negotiate the ransom payment uh, for our client, uh, since they don't have backups available and don't have a way to restore the data on their systems, uh, just by knowing uh, the previous information on the previous amounts, uh, types of discounts uh, uh, we got in the past. And just uh, the average ransom payments in general for each specific variant. That also extremely helpful because we can provide advice both to the client and to the council whether we are getting a good deal or not. And uh, last but not least, on the forensic side, uh, since uh, we uh, collected all the information and technical indicators uh, in the past, uh, we also. Kind of know as well uh, what to look for, uh, what type of persistencies uh, that that specific threat actor using, uh, and it uh, helps to speed up the uh, forensics uh, investigation as well.
1: So, uh, Evgeny, you you know, you mentioned. How we use the, the information from past engagements, and we apply that to you know our current active investigations. And one of the things I think that just had me in awe one day uh, when you were sharing with me the the work that you were you're doing with uh, federal law enforcement regarding one of the variants. Can you uh, kind of talk about what you did in that case? Obviously, with not disclosing too much, and then um, you know the tactics we were using with the dark web, and just the, the phenomenal results we had. Uh, with that project. No, absolutely. And uh, I
2: think, like, uh, I completely agree with you. I think, like, we are playing a more and more important role uh, on collaboration with the law enforcement uh, because, uh, as you guys can probably confirm based on our experience, uh, in a lot of cases, uh, a lot of victims uh, are kind of hesitant to disclose anything to law enforcement. Uh, And partially, it's because uh, the Basically, their primary goal for them is uh, to get back up and running uh, as quickly as possible, uh, and uh, like the information sharing with law enforcement uh, and everything else is kind of like takes the back seat. Uh, but yeah, specifically on this uh, on this matter that you're referring to, obviously, like we cannot disclose uh, the uh, any information regarding uh, the client and etc. Uh, but be uh, able to collect. Uh, information and it was uh, open source information on one of their uh, variants that we deal quite often. Uh, And it was a collection of uh, like few uh, like images, indicators, etc. So uh, our Cyber Threat Intel team uh, did a lot of uh, research uh, specifically on on that uh, type of information that we were able to gather. And uh, we were able to pivot off uh, that initial data set and uh, Identify uh, quite a few additional like point of context, like social media accounts, and uh, uh, some additional like uh, personal identifiable information uh, for a suspected administrator of that specific group. Uh, and we are uh, currently working closely with uh, law enforcement to help them out on this in- investigation. Yeah.
1: And one of the other things that uh, we often come across is uh, we'll be working on an engagement and then identify... Uh, through intelligence additional victims that may not have been identified and kind of out of that our uh our early warning system was born um which is uh, something else that just blew me away um, as far as what you've done with that here yes uh, i completely agree so
2: uh since uh in a lot of cases uh like IR companies are kind of being in reactive mode so by the time uh, the, the victim got ransom, uh, ransomware encryption on their devices, it's kind of too late to do anything. Uh, but since a lot of uh, ransom variants uh, use sophisticated banking trojans uh, to and some uh, botnets uh, as initial uh, intrusion vector into the victim's environment, so so what we've done is that we actually built uh, the early warning system uh, where we detect the initial infection with the trojan uh, and and by uh, identifying the victim behind that intrusion uh, we have a chance to uh prevent the ransomware attack uh that it, that that's about to happen and uh as you know like based on our experience usually like when we're doing the forensics and we're looking at all the artifacts it's not unusual uh for their attackers uh, to have like a, the initial intrusion vector as a trojan and then it would sit dormant for like two, three weeks. In some cases, months. And only later on, uh, the attackers will activate it and will use it use this uh, vector to deploy the ransomware to victims' environment. So by having uh, the list of those uh, victims that got compromised uh, before the ransomware attack happened, uh, we have a chance to potentially uh, protect them. Yeah,
1: and uh, I. I I know each week, you know, we check that list and talk about how successful it's been in the past and what we've been able to do and intervene from a proactive standpoint. Like in that, so for instance, if we identify, uh, you know, an Emotet infection across, you know, pretty large environment, which has been the case on uh, a few of our engagements, um, what we've been able to do to stop the inevitable, um, you know, a ransomware attack. Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny because
2: uh, like in the early days, like we actually tried to reach out to the victims directly. Uh, but uh, in, in best case scenario, we would, we would just get a response. Thank you, we got it from here, or it would be completely ignored. So I think we've been much more successful uh, with working through our partners, both on the insurance sites uh, and uh, law firms. Uh, because if we can find uh, a victim, uh, that is also a client of an insurance provider, oil law firm. Uh, it, it's much easier to establish that initial communication and share the information uh, and make sure that they actually pay attention to that, uh, versus like trying to uh, cold call uh, the victim directly. Uh, and, and yes, based on the data that we have so far, uh, it's definitely been very successful. Uh, we prevented millions and millions of dollars worth of potential ransomware attacks uh, just by using that uh, that platform.
0: You know, and I want to just step in and just in and reiterate um, how the industry in and of itself is coming together, right? It's... Uh, Carriers are showing far more interest in understanding the source of the threats, um, and certainly breach coaches. I know that we just had um, a, a, a get together with one of the the breach coaches that that we work with very closely, uh, Lewis Brisboy, and and they uh, they are a wealth of information as well because they have a a wide lens of what's going on with other. With other companies that we may not necessarily be involved in. So it, it it really is getting to the point where data sharing and part of your research, what you, you said is, is, is key, part of that research is just understanding how each of these threat actors are operating across the board. And, and I did want to ask, do threat actors, if, if it's a single threat actor, do they attack victims the same exact way? Every time, is there a footprint, a fingerprint? Is there something unique about how they attack? Uh, And and what does that, you know, how does that help you understand, um, you know, these threats?
2: No, absolutely. So and yeah, I completely agree that uh, the partnership and information sharing uh, between uh, like law firms that we work with is absolutely critical for us as well. And uh, we often get uh, interesting tips, or at least uh, like uh, requests for information, uh, especially if uh, they uh, get a new client, uh, for example, with a variant that uh, they haven't seen before. So, and they would circle back with us to see if we have any additional information on that. And uh, this relationship is very beneficial, and uh, and it's definitely. Uh, mutually beneficial because uh, we get additional information from the outside and also can provide uh, feedback even if we are not on that specific IR case, uh, but it uh, helps to build that partnership, uh, two-way partnership uh, with those uh, uh, companies. Uh, And the second question, uh, I mean, definitely a lot of ransom variants uh, keep evolving over time. uh, So their intrusion techniques... uh, do change over time, but it's not that quick. So we may see, uh, like over months, like if we track in the same group, uh, that they may like uh, tweak uh, a little bit uh, their procedures, or uh, they would start adding like additional tools to the uh, to the tool set uh, that they used to uh, like once they breach the victim's environment. Uh, and the, we keep updating all that information on the back backend uh, as well, uh, and that actually also very helpful. Uh, when we're trying to tie like different groups together. So a, a good example would be, for example, uh, Ryuk, uh, formerly known as uh, Hermes. Uh, so since uh, at least August 2018, uh, they had a very good uh, relationship, a pretty much exclusive relationship with uh, TrickBot. Uh, and uh, they almost exclusively used a TrickBot group to deploy uh, Ryuk. So interestingly enough is that uh, Early this year, uh, a lot of uh, like the number of uh, Ryuk cases that we were getting started to reduce significantly, and uh, I believe around like February of this year, we started to see uh, a new variant called uh, Conti uh, like grown, and we were getting more and more victims that got uh, breached with Conti ransomware. Um, the, the part that was kind of caught our attention uh, is that uh, Conti was uh, also using Trigbot for the deployment, and it was very unusual uh, to see for us because uh, at that point we only believed that they worked with Ryuk. Uh, but based on, on that information and a couple of additional uh, technical indicators from forensics analysis, now we believe that uh, those two groups like Ryuk and Conti are actually related uh, and we'll continue
1: monitoring uh, how they progress going forward. Um, are we able to uh, talk at this point? Kind of the, the technical similarities that we've seen. I know there's been uh, a lot of other open source and different publications from other vendors, but have we seen anything recently? I know that uh, I believe we had a Conti uh, project come in this week.
2: So the the tool itself is, is definitely a new version of the like ransomware uh, ransomware that uh, they probably developed recently. Uh, so, uh, so some of the indicators, uh, like technical indicators between Kanti and Ryukai, about uh, are similar, uh, but Kanti is definitely a very, uh, definitely a more advanced tool. Uh, like one of the examples for for example uh, would be that Kanti uh, actually uses uh, thirty two parallel threads uh, to encrypt uh, files. So if, uh, if Victim has a machine or like a server with uh, multiple CPUs, multi-core yeah. CPUs, uh, the encryption process like, goes like, times faster like, uh, versus uh, like Ryuk. So it's definitely like a, a more advanced tool. Uh, and uh, as I said, like, b- based on some indicators specifically uh, in Conti itself, uh, there are some similarities with Ryuk and uh, obviously... Uh, the connection of uh, cheekbot being used to deploy it is also a very good indicator that uh, those are being operated by the same group.
0: Could I could I just ask a real quick question? Because y- you've been um, you've touched on it a couple of times, um, and, and this is for the uninitiated in our in our listenership. Uh, th- there are threat actors, and then there's toolset developers, and they're working together. So we're looking at the folks that execute the actual uh, crime, if you will. But the tools that they're using are developed in cooperation with a potential uh, separate group of people. Did I hear that correctly?
2: Uh, I mean, it really depends. And uh, actually a very good segue uh, into the types of ransomware that uh, we see. Uh, So we, we kind of like when we're thinking about types of ransomware, we put them in Three different uh, buckets. Uh, so the first one would be uh, what we call ransomware as a service, uh, and uh, you can think of it uh, as of uh, essentially a franchise model. So like you have a core team that actually develops all the procedures, tools, instructions, etc., uh, and then you have a bunch of independent contractors that just uh, subscribe to that franchise. Uh, and they get all the, those tools provided to them, along like, with ongoing updates. Uh, in exchange for that, uh, those independent contractors uh, have to share uh, the percentage of the like illegal proceeds that they get, like from the ransom payments. Um, the good news about those guys is that generally uh, the intrusion vectors are not very sophisticated. Uh, and good example would be, let's say, like Dharma or Phobus. Uh, but uh, and and the, the good news as well is that they're fairly consistent uh, because the uh, the automated toolkits is very straightforward so uh, we probably can teach uh, I don't know like 10 year old how to use it uh, j- just how to deploy it and how to follow the instructions uh, and it's a uh, literally like workflow step-by-step process uh, th- the challenge with those guys is that uh, since we're dealing with uh, hundreds and hundreds of those independent contractors, so every time, uh, even though you you dealing like you're dealing with the same variant, like but every time you're talking to a potentially different person. Uh, so on the uh, customer service side, uh, the, there's no consistency. Like you, you may get a person one time that uh, will honor the word and will provide you decryption tool after the uh, the initial payment. Uh, then another spectrum side of the spectrum, you may have a uh, a guy that uh, would uh, would not provide anything after the first payment, then will ask like for second and third without uh, giving anything back. Um, so in, in that sense, uh, like uh, you Kevin completely correct. So like there's like central team that kind of like develops all those tools, uh, and then they distribute them to all the subscribers. Subscribers. Then the second time would be it's like very well organized uh, teams, uh, and they keep pretty much everything in house. So uh, both like development and operations, uh, negotiations, etc. In a sense, the development in those uh, type of scenarios is done internally, uh, like organically within the organization. But but it's a a single organization, Uh, and. They are definitely more sophisticated because they continually uh, reinvest uh, a portion of their proceeds into improving their tools and procedures. Uh, and uh, it, it's really hard to catch them uh, before they actually deploy the ransomware. Uh, on the good news side, if you can call good news <laughs> that, that uh, like once they agree to a certain amount... Uh, for the ransom payment, they generally honor the word and provide everything they promised to provide. So, like we, we get the decryption tool, and in some cases, if uh, data was uh, stolen uh, from the victim's environment, we also will get uh, either like a file tree or proof of deletion that the data was actually deleted on the attacker's side.
0: So, so as, as so as Mark would put it, it some of these organizations, and these would be the organizations that he's alluded to in the past. Th- many of them operate better than, you know, Fortune 500 companies in their efficiency and and their effectiveness in not only attacking a particular victim, but resolving uh, the case by providing the right tools, they're predictable, you, you know, they're, they're good at negotiation. Uh, does that characterize them?
2: Absolutely. Well? And the, the help desk for those type of groups is like, Probably one of the best like in the industry, like they, they can uh, give the big like uh, fortune five hundred companies run for their money uh, It's absolutely fascinating to work with them, especially like when we run into some kind of issues and we' we'll be trying to resolve those issues uh, they, they do care about their reputation, and because of that uh, they, they generally try to help and uh, resolve all the issues that we may have Wow.
0: and what's the third? What's the third type?
2: Uh, and the third is uh, just the like Wild West. So it's essentially miscellaneous and new variants. Uh, if it's a new variant that we're dealing with, uh, generally they don't care about their reputation. Uh, and sometimes the tools that they use uh, have a lot of uh, issues. Uh, so we we had issues, for example, with ACO, uh, ransom variant, like when it just showed up and it was uh, the first time reported. Uh, We went back and forth negotiating with them and uh, they ended up providing us a tool uh, that instead of decrypting data, like corrupted like 50% of the data on the client side. Uh, And then they also started to ask for additional payment to help us fix it uh, without providing any proof of that, that they can actually assist with anything. So those guys are definitely uh, unpredictable. Uh, If they will uh, mess up, uh, they can just afford to disappear for a few weeks and maybe pop back up under a new name a few weeks later. Um, And yeah, there's no good news with those guys.
0: Uh, terrifying. <laughs> it's just absolutely <laughs> terrifying uh, because if they blow it, uh, are these the folks that um, ultimately, uh, and I've seen it, uh, they're a little random in their ability to provide encryption keys and they've taken what has historically been a pretty solid uh, variant and just tweaked it to their benefit uh, or or not. <laughs> Maybe they're just experimenting and uh, and it's just as a complete... It's a complete loss. Um, yeah. It, it, how prevalent? How prevalent is the third type, the wild west? I mean, I think yeah. that you know, listeners are probably nail biting right now. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh. Oh. Um. H- how frequently do you see wild west versus your organized team?
1: So I, I can tell you, I've had two wild west in the past, and the first was interesting. It was, uh, they were using a, a male mail domain, which was is not common. You know, like a, a proton or a tutana. Uh, it, was a, it was a Gmail account, and they ha- it was a uh, healthcare facility that was involved. The variant uh, was an open source that during forensics, we found a, a GitHub page for that we were actually able to build the decryptor with. Um, but at that point, it was also weird as they had only hit like non-critical systems. So we thought in that case, that maybe it was, you know, maybe an exit phase of a larger attack. So we, we did a further investigation And then the other, uh, the used a a variant which was common. Uh, I believe this was like last fall. Um, Was it Doppel? I can't remember. But uh, so we had paid the ransom, and afterwards the the comms just went dark. They didn't respond, and we ultimately did not get the key. We never heard back. And I mean, in that case, you know, we typically go to afghani and his you know first thoughts are maybe the email was shut down um but it was weird because that had never happened and then ultimately we determined once we did get a copy of the uh ransomware payload itself it wasn't doppel it was something we had never heard of so those things do happen i guess in that case afghani are those kind of akin to like your script kitties but for ransomware and you know how does that affect uh other, like I guess, these groups in general, is it or is it just really a nuisance to them? I mean, like a, a lot of uh,
2: those variants. Uh, I mean, like you can you can go on, uh, on like Russian hackers forums and and buy uh, a pre-built uh, like ransomware tool uh, that is absolutely generic uh, for I don't know like two hundred five hundred bucks, and uh, you can start your own operations. Uh, but because they just purchase uh, some something off the shelf, I mean. If uh, they run into some kind of issues with uh, uh, with the encryption decryption process, uh, th- there's nothing they can do to help because they're not the experts. Uh, they don't have like a central team that actually worked on the development of those tools. Uh, and I mean like they, they will be absolutely clueless and not be able to help uh, to resolve the situation. So obviously like with, with those uh, those type of cases, whenever we deal with a new one that we never heard before, uh we being like double triple cautious with those guys uh, ensuring that uh, they can decrypt the sample files uh, like ensuring that uh, we can get some kind of proof of uh, additional both like whether they exfiltrate the data or not just because we don't have any information about them and uh, they don't have any
1: track record essentially. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, speaking of exfiltration, sorry, I'm going in a million different directions after you dropped some awesome uh, knowledge. But so data exfills is obviously been a, a kind of trend that started end of last year and has continued. Um, and it seems, you know, each new variant we're learning has some sort of exfil component. What do you think is, is next after that is, is kind of a, a double insurance policy um, for, the, for the attackers that they may start using?
2: Yeah, you're absolutely correct.
1: So it started uh,
2: back, I believe, in November of the last year uh, with Maze. Uh, and after that, uh, I believe we're currently tracking at least 20 different variants that uh, jumped on the back bandwagon and also started to, uh, like, XFIL take the data before the encryption. Uh, and uh, attackers essentially, in their mind, uh, trying to use that to leverage uh, their chances of getting paid uh, but in my personal opinion, it's really a not very smart uh, tactic uh, because uh, if they encrypted the data on the clients uh, on the victims' machines, uh, and the victim uh, cannot afford to pay uh, their own money for that, so obviously, obviously, like they uh, generally trying to see if they have any kind of insurance coverage, uh, and all insurance coverages have limits, so. By taking the data, uh, they kind of take a piece of the pie uh, out of the play uh, because, at the end of the day, uh, the victim would have to consider all expenses uh, that uh, they will have to cover with that insurance policy, uh, which would be both like the forensics, containment, uh, recovery, paying for the decryption tool. And because the data was taken, they also have to consider uh, that they may need to do data mining to identify. Uh, if uh, de- if taken, data contain any sensitive information and potentially uh, pay for the n- notifications after that. So in, in my personal opinion, I, I, I think like a lot of those bad guys thought it, it's a good idea. Uh, I don't think that's the case uh, because uh, instead of uh, doing that, they could just do a better job of encrypting the data and deleting the backups uh, and uh, the victim would have more money on the table uh, to pay the ransom and everything else
1: yeah you know and one thing that's new is uh so mm-hmm. obviously the, the sale of that data have we seen in any cases where there's there's actual this is um actually being purchased by anyone i know soda Nikibi, the the evil group has the the auction site now but as far as what's the market for that look like has it been lucrative i'm not sure uh
2: we definitely saw the auction sites and it looks like there's some data sets were purchased uh but uh, I'm not sure th- uh, how available that data potentially can be uh, for other uh, like hackers, bad actors, etc., cetera, uh, because they essentially uh, buy a <laughs> black bag. They have no idea what's inside of it. Uh, it could be something really good, like maybe some account numbers, uh, PI information that can be used uh, to uh, conduct additional uh, scams. But it could be something absolutely useless. I, I don't know, some project information data from uh, projects that client was doing. And uh, it would be absolutely useless uh, for other hackers. So uh, I don't think that uh, by offering that data to, uh, on the auction sites by those guys, uh, it would yield them anywhere close to what they potentially can get just uh, through the ransomware attack.
0: Yeah. Sounds to me like it's a bit like a <clears throat> an episode of uh, Storage Wars. You know, you go up, you, you offer so much. There's a box of stuff. Uh, could be uh, a bunch of stuffed animals with mold in them, <laughs> or or it could be you know boxes of gold coins. I think that's gonna. That's probably going to change, though, don't you think, with regard to the tool sets that they're using Um, and, you know, artificial intelligence, uh, machine learning. I mean, they're going to be able to sift through that data, data mining in general. Right. I mean, the the tactics that can be used to filter through and isolate valuable data is going to change. So do you think that this is just kind of step one? They're building the they're building they're building a business model. Uh, step two, they're going to refine it until it makes sense, right? And uh, in the meantime, you know, people are going to pay. It, again, they're just going to kind of drive by and say, oh, "I'll give you X amount of dollars for this data," and we'll see if we can leverage it against the customer. Or, uh, it, it, I mean, it, it, what, what are your thoughts? Do it sound, does that sound about right, or are we, uh, or, or do you think that this is just a, a grand experiment to 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 do what Mar- Mark said, which is give them a double insurance policy on, a, on an attack?
2: Yeah, I, I don't believe that, uh, because at the end of the day uh, for the attackers, uh, I mean, they, they want to uh, move through those uh, cases with victims fairly quickly. Uh, and like, let, let's take a maze, uh, for example. Uh, so generally, like when they take the data, uh, they don't even look at it for like a couple of weeks. And uh, they may go back and look at the archives like uh, two, like three weeks later, like if they didn't get uh, any offers from them, from the victims, Uh, and then they will pull some files. But uh, even based on our experience with them, uh, like they could provide like some sample data and we will go back uh, to them and say like the. The stuff you provided has absolutely no value to to us. <laughs> do, do better. Can, can can you find any sensitive data in there? And uh, even Mason, some like in some instances, complained to us saying, "Oh, there's too much time. Like we we have to work on other stuff. Uh, like there's like few more files for for you. Take a look at that." Uh, but uh, I, I mean, I I don't believe that uh, ransomware operators will will invest any kind of money into. Uh, doing essentially e-discovery work uh, on the day that they took, uh, they they all about the volume. They, they want to like in, 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 in encrypt as many victims as possible and collect uh, as much uh, money as they can. Uh, and this extra step with e-discovery probably wouldn't worth their time.
0: It, it, it seems uh, uh, it, it's tiresome work to have reputation on both sides of the coin. Right? You got reputation on giving giving control back to a victim's network and then you have a reputation hit if you know if you're downloading you know again recipes for you know corn muffins and croissants i mean (laughs) who cares right i mean at the end of the day other than the baker who you know may not want their their recipe but i mean how much money is that going to command i guess unless it's you know a brand name or whatever but i think at the end of the day you're right it, it, you know what is the value to the threat actor when they want to get in they want to get out
2: absolutely i agree and uh, i mean like if uh, if hacker would be interested in like purchasing uh like credit card numbers uh, like, uh social security numbers uh, there are uh, several dark web uh auctions and uh, shops available uh with a, that type of information can be purchased like extremely inexpensively. Uh, that doesn't. That wouldn't make any sense uh, for guys that are looking for that type of information uh, to go and purchase a data dump uh, from the ransomware attack and try to figure out if it contained any like data that they can use. So it just doesn't make sense.
1: You know, speaking sure. of the data dumps, um, one of the, the tactics that Mays his Uses is they will only release uh, you know percentage of the data at first at the start and then if you, you don't pay slowly over time I know that we've been tracking that and it seems that uh, at least in, in some sectors that um, that data actually remains the only the five percent that they initially release and ultimately what I'm getting at um, this is kind of an important trend to look out for in other variants that may, you know, show you a preview of what you have. Because often the question is, well, do we pay because we need to be operational again to decrypt our files or do we pay so they won't release our data? But what data do they have? So I guess that's just a long-winded way of me asking, do you think in in most instances that the data that is being claimed to be exfilled is such a substantive set? That they're claiming to have or or what have you seen uh like in regards to that i mean based on our experience obviously uh attackers can
2: bluff uh especially in the initial negotiation process about like how much data they took uh and uh in cases where uh we actually finished the negotiations and the client decided to pay uh Th- the subset of, inf- of information that was provided back was significantly smaller compared to to the, original, uh, to the original amount that the attacker claimed to have. Uh, and obviously, like, on the back end, during the forensics, uh, when we're looking uh, uh, through all the folders and files that attackers actually accessed, uh, we, in some cases, can rule that out as well. Uh, for example, uh, we had a case where... Uh, we observed during the forensics that attacker accessed one of the folders that contained uh, a lot of information that the client specifically uh, was concerned about. Uh, and amount of that data uh, in that folder was uh, over one terabyte. Uh, so on, we were trying to figure out exactly uh, how likely it is uh, that uh, attackers could exfiltrate that sensitive data. And uh, based on the forensics artifacts, we found out that uh, the, the archive that was created by the attacker on the system uh, for staging purposes, and they usually do that, uh, like they just uh, archive the data they would like to take out before they actually exfiltrate it from the device. So the, the time frame from the time the archive was created to the time uh, when the archive was deleted was only four and a half minutes. Uh, and based on uh, bandwidth utilization uh, during that period of time that we got from internet service provider for the client we calculated that the max amount of data that could have been taken was probably like around like I think like 30, 60 gigabytes, I don't remember right now off the top of my head. Uh, but by just by looking at those different type of uh, indicators that we recovered during the forensics, uh, we can uh, derive uh, a conclusion whether or not uh, the, the sensitive data that a uh, client was concerned about could have or could not be taken. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but it is. It's always nice when we do still have those artifacts available for forensics. Because uh, I know in a few uh, big maze um, projects we've had that we've not had the luxury of of having any evidence to tie it back. But the data being presented by the threat actor was a large set, and that that always leaves a big question in the mind as far as you know how do you proceed to get operational again. So. Uh, and this we I could go on with you all morning, but uh I, I wanna have you back and you know continue to have you on because I could talk to you all day, every day, um, you know, as we do during the day. So I uh, Kevin, I wanna um you know let's continue this over to a series two and uh keep talking with Evgeny.
0: Absolutely. No, this I found this episode to be incredibly informative. All this stuff is such good information, and and definitely deserves another uh, another full episode. So, um, Efgeni, thank you very much for joining us this morning.
2: Thank you for having me. <laughs> it was a pleasure. Yeah.
0: Great, great. Well, I hope it was a good good time, and uh, and absolutely, uh, we'd like to invite you back again for part two of this conversation. Uh, and and with that, uh, Mark, great great talk today, don't you think?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Fascinating stuff.
0: And there it is. We've reached the end of this episode, but not the end of this topic. Join us next time as we continue this very interesting discussion on Threat Intelligence with Evgeny and Mark. I'd like to thank Severine Fortin and Colin Hanks for all they do to make this production possible, as well as you, our listeners, for spending time with us. So for now, stay smart, stay safe, and join us again for another episode of Security Superpowers.